0: Greetings, errants, glitches, breakaways, thought criminals, and genuinely open-minded and outright curious inhabitants of whatever simulacrum we find ourselves navigating at the moment. You are about to set sail on another free first-hour episode of The Melt. If you find yourself wanting to dig deeper and have the desire to join the conversation during our monthly Melt meetups, you might want to consider becoming a monthly subscriber. For a measly five dead presidents per month, you can have access to full-length, early and exclusive episodes just click the patreon or locals link in the episode notes below to create the timeline that will set it all in motion it's suspiciously simple altogether painless and just might inspire feelings of bliss and or lingering euphoria so without further ado let the conversations begin Today's guest, Matt Presti, is a metascientist, musician, patriot, philosopher, poet, practitioner of universal law, natural science, and living philosophy, audio and video producer, broadcaster, and the host of the Exploration of Consciousness series on his YouTube channel. He is the former director of operations and president of the University of Science and Philosophy formerly the Walter Russell Foundation, and is currently the CEO of Universal Power LLC and a volunteer firefighter at the Montauk Rural Fire Department in Dent County, Missouri, and the Rockfish Valley Volunteer Fire Department in Nelson County, Virginia. His latest documentary came out almost a year ago entitled Dispelling Dimensional Madness, in which he claims that reality is not a dimension, but rather it has dimension. I start off the conversation by asking Matt to tell us a little about his background and how he came to the subjects that we'll be talking about today.
1: I had a pretty normal childhood, like a lot of kids. Uh, Grew up in St. Louis County in Richmond Heights. And um, Chris, you and I probably stomped around some of the same ground growing up. And uh, um, so, yeah, it was was a very... uh, What's the word I would use? Um, introverted childhood. You know, I, I kept to myself a lot, and my imagination was just off the charts. So um, my friends were the oak trees and the and the rabbits and the, you know, the stray cats and everything else. Yeah, but yeah. Um, as I grew older, of course, you you get into that teenage phase and you start going to parties, and the awkwardness wears off after enough conversation happens and. You know, and I was never really interested in books, which was interesting, but not until I turned around 28 or 29. And my best friend's dad, uh, he got me to read um, a book called AIDS and the Doctors of Death <laughs> by uh, Dr. Alan Cantwell, Jr. <laughs> Sounds uplifting. And so that that was my first book out of since out of high school. And I just dove right into, you know, one book after another after that for some 10 or 12 years. Just reading everything, a lot, a lot of conspiracy stuff. So that was very interesting to me. I like the, the Bigfoot books when I was a kid in the library, and yes. um, Loch Ness monster, and so on and so forth, and all the stuff that's you know kind of mysterious. And so I would eventually start studying comparative religions. Nine Eleven was a huge turning point in terms of research, and it got more serious. You know, the tone. Uh, you you realize. Once you've been gotten by an operation like that, yes. how sophisticated the psychological warfare uh, departments of this world are, and how how much they they truly seek to control the masses toward what, and then you start finding out about this world government and so on and so forth. But that eventually led to you know what is the spiritual nature behind this? Is it is it really? interdimensional demonic angels, demonics versus angelics. You know, what is this whole thing, which got me into a study, deep study of comparative religions. And from there, I began to read the Yoganandas and the Paramahansas and the, and the, uh, uh, Dave did more of the David Ike stuff. And then into the, uh, well, you could just go on and the Thomas Mertens and, and I've had a lot of spiritual influences and, Um, None really satisfied, but eventually I would discover Dr. Walter Russell. And that was really the turnkey for me that uh, I got so interested in that and was just blown away by it that I had to share it, get his name out. Because I, like many people, as president of the University of Science and Philosophy, formerly the Walter Russell Foundation, uh, I would become president of this organization in 2015 which, if you'd have told me that in 2008, I'd have lapped you out of the room. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I'd be a president. I didn't even go to college, but I end up president of a university. So, uh-huh. wow. Uh, that just goes to show you that you can do anything you put your mind to. But, for sure. So that that answered a whole lot for me. And you mentioned the dispelling dimensional madness. It's something that I had been meaning to dispel for a good eight years before I even released that documentary. It was troubling to me because it it was so simple the way. Dr. Russell explained it and his wife, Leo, that, you know, the evil is man's doing. And that was from a free will perspective, of course, um, that's a lot of responsibility for a lot of people to bear to even accept that. But I just don't see any other way around it. But we can get more into that. But anyways, um, I've since departed the university and I'm currently CEO of a startup company, tech startup company. And. We're working on energy efficiency technology currently and just living life and loving it, you know. Fantastic. Things are good. Cool.
0: What, what is the company? You said it's a tech, tech company?
1: It's called Universal Power.
0: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That sounds very world domina- domination-oriented. <laughs> I'm just uh, kidding. F-
1: world freeing from yeah, domination-oriented.
0: <laughs> is it something... <laughs> more just a business or is it something having to do with your sort of spiritual beliefs and pursuits?
1: Well, it's, I'd say a mix of all, you know, it's the, it's, to me, it's, it's a quest, but I, I I can't really get too much into it, but I will just say that, that it's very much related to the work I did at the university. Very cool. So,
0: yep. Well, let's. I, I I was interesting to encounter your your latest documentary on the dimensional madness stuff um, because mm-hmm. it it kind of I, I fucking hate this word triggered, but there is things in it that I was like right on. That's that's right mm. on uh, the exact sort of thing that I believe in, and there was other parts that like the lack of dimensions that you. Don't don't think that exists, or you posit doesn't exist in the in the documentary, mm-hmm. um, and things that I was just confused by. Maybe it's just a, a sure. question of semantics, or maybe who knows. But it's something that I would like to unpack. Um, I think one thing that you put forth was that you're definitely not for materialism, which is one thing. Right? Am, am I right as far as that's concerned? Sure.
1: Well I'm, I'm half for it because okay. <laughs> <laughs> without a body, we wouldn't be very effective at anything. Okay. so yeah yeah, you know but
0: but like uh, as far as science just concentrating on materialism sure yeah,
1: yeah I right think- it's well, we're dominated by materialist science for sure I and mean, that there's no doubt when everything has to be explained, including our own consciousness, by something material. I think we're doing a grave disservice and, and we can squarely blame uh, Descartes for that for the most part. Sure. Because his uh, science was extremely materialistic.
0: Mm-hmm. So there's that. There's that, that aspect and that's one of the things that I resonate with for sure. Uh, but the impression that I got from some of what you were putting forth in the documentary was that sort of if you can't experience it in the physical realm it might as well not exist, or it doesn't have, it doesn't carry the same weight as things that you can see, feel, touch, and smell. Did I read that right? Or.
1: It's that to a degree, but there's, I don't miss count the spiritual aspects or the mental aspects that aren't physical aspects like love, for instance, is a very real emotion. Uh, it's more than an emotion in, in some senses, and um, I just did a podcast today with David Whitehead and Monica Whitehead and myself and Lori, um, our first appearance together Double on the podcast, date. and we talked about, yeah, exactly, we <laughs> talked about love and relationships and what it's like to be with crazy conspiracy theorists like us, and, <laughs> you know, it's, but yeah, that's a, that's a quality that's spiritual. You can't weigh it. You can't measure love. Uh, scientists use the word every day, even though it doesn't exist in their material world. Yes. It's not quantifiable or redu- reducible into some kind of, you know, taxonomic qualification. For sure. So it's it's really just a quality of the soul, and those things are immaterial, but they exist nonetheless, mm-hmm. much as man's mind does. And we can think anything we want, but really, the 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 next step to creation is the action universe which is building the bodies for it. So a relationship is is not necessarily even a body either but it's the way two people relate to each other and when they use that word love that signifies a bond and that bond is again it's it's acted out between two bodies which is verifiable by observation. Sure. But it's not necessarily quantifiable in a laboratory. So It kind of gets into a gray area, but I think what I was trying to put forth with the documentary was as far as angels and demons go and different dimensions and existence in different dimensions, um, the dimensions are all created mathematically. So the entirety of this idea of a fourth dimension being time is, you know, to a Charles Dodson, Lewis Carroll quackery. And it's worthy of making huge fun of because it has no existence and uh, Gerard, uh, Gerard, um, goofing up his name, Gerard Hickson, I think, uh, who wrote Kings to Thrones said the same thing about Einstein's equation that time being in a fourth dimension and the other three dimensions being independent quantities which is impossible, you can't have independent quantities of a three-dimensional object. It, it has length, breadth, and width, all three-dimensional objects do, but there's no fourth dimension of time to an individual object as they perceive this thing to be. So they created this fourth dimension to house it, and the way that it was created was sort of a very fishy kind of uh, Rowan Hamilton's uh, quaternions. He tried to, invent a fourth quaternion, which, <laughs> you know, his that's what made Carroll write Alice in Wonderland with the time scene, is that time was always missing from the table, because it was his critique of Hamilton's jump into hyperspace, if you will. And it's this hyperspace that influenced the spiritualism of the 1880s Britain, which then jumped the ship, jumped the pond over to from scientific romance in the UK, it became science fiction in the United States. And we've kind of gotten accustomed to believing that science fiction is a reality. And that's the danger of this is that, you know, we we have zero evidence that angels or or demons exist other than some experiences. But I kind of like to look at this more psychologically. And I'm more invested in a Jungian kind of perspective that archetypes can explain angels and demons much better than angels and demons can explain themselves. And if we look at the characteristics of a human soul and emotion and behavior, these archetypes perfectly line up. You know, the god of war is anger, the god of love is Venus, you know, and this, it also has an astrological significance as well. And all these things can be expounded upon, which are they're all parts and parcel to the hermetics, uh, the hermetic codes, if you will, and and their types of hermeticism, astrology, tarot, things that we're not supposed to look at because you will get in trouble with the papacy and everything else that yeah. wants to limit what you're allowed to look at. So basically scrutinizing that and uh, asking deeper questions. And I think this can all Honestly, be explained psychologically why man behaves the way he is, and and to quote the great Michael Tisarean, America is truly the the most um, psychologically inept country in the world, and I, and I would have to agree with that. When was that quote uh, made? From from Mr. huh uh, he said that in, in numerous of his podcasts, Slave dot com okay. gotcha. has okay. all that. Um, uh-huh. Just great stuff. But yeah, we we are the most psychologically out of touch civilization on planet Earth. We instead of dealing with the things that happen, we take pills, we take medicine to block it out. So it's sort of that. Yeah,
2: that's such an interesting perspective to me. I lived in Australia for four years, and when I was living there. One of the things that the men in Australia commented on was how in the United States men talk about their feelings and there's a, a real emphasis on the psyche and psychological states. So I think if we are in, if, if what you're saying is true, then imagine how, 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 um, immature or under, underdeveloped, there are other countries are like, so for Australia, for example, where men don't express themselves emotionally, and they are very stoic, and they keep a lot of stuff in, they look at us, and they're like, you guys talk about your feelings all the time, and men talk about their feelings. So do you think that there's evidence that really supports that, that uh, hypothesis?
1: Well, that's a good question. I mean, it's if you look at what happened in Australia during the COVID lockdowns, Mm -hmm. they were one of the most brutalistic lockdown countries of any on the whole planet. For sure. Possibly New Zealand might have come close to a second. Mm -hmm. But here in the States, I mean, we in the rural areas, people just laugh that stuff off, Mm -hmm. even though half the county I live in masked up and went and got the shots the other half didn't and I'd say it's about 50 50 from my own estimation but um we may be in some senses more in touch with our feelings but and how we communicate those as a society but we're also probably the most medicated society on earth Totally, you know we we're, we're giving um we're giving chemical castrative uh mixtures to our own children, for yes. God's sakes. And yeah. It's being heavily promoted by billion-dollar corporations. So when you take that into the factor, you know, that's that's where you get this idea that we are truly anti-psychological because how can we justify chemical castration, much mm-hmm. less actual genital mutilation? I mean, that says a whole lot about our state of mind, And and I don't know any other country that really promotes it as heavily as we do when all our billion dollar corporations and fortune 500 companies all change their social media icon at the same time Mm -hmm. for a whole month to promote an ideology that makes having children impossible. Mm -hmm. So what do you think that is?
2: (laughs) I think it's demonic. (laughs) Well, I think
0: it's right. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: I just, I think that there's an element uh, of some form of, um, possession that has happened. Mm. And you, you know, we could say that it's a, a corporate, uh, ideology that is based on, um, not just money making, but on power and uh, maybe, uh, of the, the disenfranchising and the distortion of the family and the family unit being destroyed And I think the intention is to circle back to what you're saying is to get people addicted to the cycle of medicines, but also the cycle of surgeries. Because one thing that they don't Mm. talk about in the transitioning uh, sphere is that you are co-signing to a life of surgeries. And
0: pharmaceuticals.
2: You are are co-signing on the utter destruction of your sexuality and your ability to have an orgasm and your ability Mm -hmm. to feel different parts of your body. I was talking to someone yesterday who had a double mastectomy because she had breast cancer in one breast Mm -hmm. and the doctor urged her to have her healthy breast cut off. And she said, Mm -hmm. you know, the one thing they didn't tell me was that I would lose all feeling in my chest. So Mm -hmm. imagine a woman that has not completely developed that goes and has a double mastectomy before she's even developed breasts before she's even gone through puberty Mm. and and takes these puberty blockers you know what what is being created then it's not Mm. a human anymore we've we've gone beyond the human experience into this weird it's almost like this uh like a purgatory state for the, the human body.
1: Mm-hmm. It's sort of the uh, transhumanism agenda, right? It's, for sure. you know, that's again, part of the, the whole operation and the procedure in 80% of the countries worldwide, not necessarily in the United States, but 80% of the countries worldwide, I read require mandatory sterilization to even have the gender surgery. So right there, you're committing to a sterile life without children. You'll never know what it's like to bury your own children or have that family dynamic, and that's the root of a lot of this, I believe. If, if you took all the conspiracy theories and boiled them down into a liquid, what would read on top of that liquid would be population control, for sure. Oh, and that's and- really what their what, what my own research, at least, shows me that that's the the common denominator in all of these you know, these programs of psychological warfare is to basically the the glue of the world family. The the glue of the world culture is the family itself. Mm -hmm. The family unit is the base of all. It's the bricks and mortar underneath all these buildings, underneath all these different arts and underneath all these different ways of of humans being in the world. So if you want to get it to the point where you can control the whole of the human species, you attack the root. You know, that old saying, a thousand men hack at the branches, but only the New World Order hacks at the root, which is the family unit itself. And there's a lot of evidence to support that because they know that in past conflagrations in communist China under Mao, under Stalin, they attacked the family unit. And that was how they overthrew the entire population by weakening its strongest base of support. And I don't think you know that all those things that they funded and were part of were just experiments for when the time was right to try it on the Western nations of the world, which are the most advanced, if you wanna say that. Not that we're spiritually advanced, but I would say that there's certain balances there, but we we certainly have freedom and, and liberty as ideals that are more advanced than most of the countries on the planet. And that's what has allowed the genius to sprout up from that fertile soil is that freedom and that inculcation of the liberties that come from the love of that freedom and the pursuit of it. And uh, that's what they're at war with. They can't have first world countries in their new world order. They have to reduce the first world to third world status, and then they can rule and control through divide and conquer means. And unfortunately, a lot of young children and, and women get caught in the crossfire and don't realize what they're a part of until it's too late. And I've read some pretty terrible horror stories about people that have uh, been transfigured and then regret it extremely so afterwards. And, you know, they call it detransition. And if anybody just Googles that word and watches Mm -hmm. some of these video testimonies, it's heart-wrenching. But I I really think people should question this heavily before they go anywhere near it.
0: For sure. And going back to the uh, America being psychologically inept, I think that this whole ideology where we're trying to be so inclusive that we take away all uh, possibility of adversity in any given situation, um, completely disregarding that that's how humans learn. We learn through adversity. We learn through coming, uh, butting up to things that uh, disagree with us, may rub us the wrong way, may challenge us to go, why do I think that? Why am I reacting this way? May, you know, just shake us out of our little bubble that some of us walk around in. And that's how we expand. That's how we evolve. So if we take that shit away, we nerf the world, uh, then we got. We have a lot of, as as Dave Chappelle would say, brittle souls. We have a lot of people mm. that are so fragile that any sort of the least bit of uh, the the scent of adversity they freak out on and start screaming and then run to their online Twitter friends or wherever so they can like launch some sort of a mob (laughs) towards whoever it was that said this thing that was completely taken out of context that made them feel uncomfortable. Instead of learning from that experience and going, Mm. fuck what he or she said. I I feel confident in myself and, you know, I'm just going to keep being me. You know. Strange. Very yep. strange.
1: Reminds me of George Carlin, you know, the the over worry of uh, germs, right? Mm-hmm. You yeah. ever watch George Carlin's germs? Oh, yeah. yeah. He's like, you know, raw sewage flowed in there. And we used to swim in that shit. <laughs> yeah. That's why our <laughs> immune systems are so strong. Exactly. And there is a clip on a on one of these conservative sites and uh it was of kids in LA swimming in the water mm-hmm. that from the hurricane that filled up on their street and Mm -hmm. all the comments. I was, I I tend to enjoy the comments more than most of the stories, but the comments were all, they're going to get sick. They're, they're, they're going to get you know, they're swimming in sewage, you're doing I'm um, and I'm just like I have wanted to sign in and type, have you ever watched Germs by George Carlin? Yes. So these kids are doing what I did when I was a kid. The street would flood. I'd be out rolling in it. You know? Exactly. It's like that's not gonna stop me. You know, it's yeah. like that builds strong immunity. Yeah, well nerfing the world. That's a good that's a good one.
0: Got it from got it from Joe Rogan, but uh <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, when when one one question, when or one one very quick comment when natural immunity is a right-wing conspiracy idea then what the fuck world are we living in okay i did
2: i did want to circle back to something that you were talking about when you were speaking initially about love and love not being quantifiable there, uh, I'm in university right now, so I'm deeply embedded in research and reading, reading studies and, you know, scientific literature that is my, that's kind of my uh, world view right now, mm-hmm. which is absolutely fascinating. Uh, but one thing that I have seen recently is that there have been several studies where they've taken people and put them, people that are in love and put them into CT scans. And then they flashed a photo of, let's say, you know, two animals attacking each other. And then they mark the brain waves of, of where uh, the brain is responding and where it lights up. And then they'll flash a photo of a loved one, like your husband, your wife, whoever your person is. And then they mark how the brain responds to that. What are your thoughts about that in terms of uh, what I call the post-human movement? Because what I believe is happening is that this is not about transitioning humans into uh, an uploaded uh, reality, but it's taking consciousness and then taking that and uploading that so basically all the data so the reason they would do this type of a study is to see what parts of the brain function when someone is in love so they can mark that and then try to recreate that with some type of an algorithm
1: simulate it Mm. right it's it's an effort to in vain to simulate the actual human soul you could say um episode 336 on a recent unslaved podcast called science fall. Michael Sarin discusses that very thing. And it was a very moving episode. And he basically said the, the way that things are going. And if you look back at how consciousness has been studied and uh, Julian Jane's uh, bicameral mind um, where he talks about the voice in the head being God, Years prior to, you know, thousands of years ago, that that voice has left us, and so we form, we created religions to try to, you know, be guided back to it. Mm -hmm. And so you get these mystics that come from time to time. Walter Russell being one himself, and Lao Tzu, and others, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, others in different respective religions and areas around the planet, Krishna, etc., and. Basically what AI is, is a replacement for that voice in the head. And it's a complete total simulation because computers, number one, are not alive.
2: Mm-hmm. They have
1: no living presence. Uh, you pull the plug, it dies,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? You take the power source away, it's gone. So humans are wireless. We're, we're running on something that's not plugged in, even though we are as as children in the womb, plugged into a placenta, so we're kind of like plants in the early on until we're born, and then we're freed from that root, which is a, more or less a surrogate earth, being plugged into, and then we go wireless, and we we are powered by that, what Dr. Russ would call consciousness itself, which is the fusion of light, of the divided spectrum into the white light of mind and mind and God being one, and man being uh, an idea within that mind. Uh, so basically, you have a simulated reality, and then you have the actual human, which is, again, operated and powered by consciousness. So I think what they're trying to do, and I have to concur with with Michael's excellent view in that, um, that voice in the head, which we call our conscience, our still small voice, mm-hmm. and I'm old enough to remember Jiminy Cricket, always let your conscience be your guide. You know, these these are the kinds of motifs that I grew up with that, you know, uh, the Saturday morning cartoons didn't suck when I grew up. Yeah. You know, we had School of Rock and all the good stuff. Uh-huh. Um, even Sesame Street before The Woke got yeah. into everything. Yeah, yeah had moral lessons in it. Mr. And, um, Rogers. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole host of things that were extremely on the moral side and, and virtuous and yeah. with good endings. He-Man would come on at the end of every cartoon and say, now, listen, kids, what did you learn from this? That it's better not to do this than it is to do that. <laughs> uh-huh. So they're conscience lessons. lessons. Yeah. And that's one thing that I think the the transhumanists want to remove is consciousness. They want to take it out and materialist science is the vehicle which they've done it with that's in 1994 they the david uh i can't remember his last name but he he came up with this hard problem of consciousness because they couldn't find it anywhere in the brain mm-hmm. and they scanned and have scanned as you're saying you you you're seeing this this take place but i don't think they can actually and they haven't it's still a hard problem even though it was solved 200 years ago mm-hmm. by a Immanuel Kant, because a mind can't step outside of itself and look at itself. It takes a mind to analyze anything, mm-hmm. whether it be emotion, a physical object. So what is the mind? If it can't step outside of itself, it must be, as yes, the German idealists say, a causal factor of creation. And so removing consciousness and saying that it must be an effect of matter versus the cause of matter. Has done a great disservice to all of humanity because prior to Descartes, it was considered a causal thing in in many circles, and it was undecided. Let's just say, um, but eventually, um, Kant's influence on German idealism and other things resulted in the eventual question of consciousness must be an effect of some part of the brain. They've yet to find it. All the neural all, all the neuro uh, brain science still can't locate it, and it's continues to be a hard problem if you're not an idealist, mm-hmm. only if you're a materialist. So,
0: so interesting caveat
1: there, absolutely.
0: Uh, what do you think of uh, experiences where, say, somebody is on the operating table? Uh, something happens, too much anesthetic, whatever, so their heart stops, and they are declared dead for, say, 20 mm-hmm. minutes. Uh, and then they come back into their body and sort of come to and wear off the anesthetics. And they describe things that were going said when they were supposedly dead. And they describe things that are on the roof of the hospital that there's no way that they could have. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you think that? consciousness is isn't it is not that not on a on a different dimension not on a different vibration that's where i'm wondering if we if we're talking about different semantics
1: here right well again we we could address the the dimension thing on a more i i would i would separate that away from the near-death experiences because i've had two of my own um i've studied them pretty in-depthly um I know P.M.H. Atwater, who wrote various books on the subject, um, though I don't agree with her political views. Uh, I still respect the research she's done. Um, and then you have, of course, uh, Daniel Brinkley and others who have written just incredible accounts of near-death experience. and And basically what I think is the consciousness is freed from the body. If it was in another dimension, it would see different things, not in this one. So one of, one of the ironies about these descriptions that people have about higher dimensions is that they're all describing these places in this one. They're do, They're doing the describing from this reality, this one reality, right? In other words, how can you step outside of your mind and describe your mind? You can't because your mind is consciousness. It's not it cannot be stepped out of. Sure.
0: Well, what about they they
1: say you're out of your mind if you're, if you're not in it. Right. right So
0: what about psychedelic experiences? Like when people smoke DMT and they, go not someplace that seems to be have anything to do with earth and talk to entities. I mean, and you know, it would be one thing if one person went in and said, Hey, this crazy thing happened. And but Mm. like several people who never met each other come back and report the same Mm -hmm. seemingly objective, objective experience. How does that register?
1: Well, I can only speak from experience. I, I did, I took, uh, Mike Hagan and Terrence McKenna's advice, and I did heroic doses of psilocybin cubensis mm-hmm. multiple times, about 10 or 11 times in my life alone in the woods with a fire and the ceremonials and all of it. Nice. And I've had some pretty damn profound experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of a being that I encountered, which was a reptilian that was seven feet tall and standing in my, in my studio, um, grinning at me. And I was just happened to be reading David Icke at the time, The Biggest Lie, where he's talking about the reptiles that latch onto the chakras and can steer a globalist world leader around by their chakras and so on and so forth. And you know the 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 shaman from Zimbabwe, he he described his experiences to Credo Mutwa. And. Um, my own experience of it i i had two choices at that moment sitting there on my futon and my underwear <laughs> was i can i can freak the fuck out and run out of the building screaming or i can confront this thing and try to take it out and that's what i chose was the latter so i got up and put walked over to it put my hands around it and it disappeared in my hands and the voice of the mushroom said ha 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 silly little human, look what your little monkey mind can conjure.
0: <laughs>
1: and I just went, whoa, and I sat down and I thought, I, I've, I still think about that experience to this day. Mm-hmm. What the hell was that? Yeah, yeah. And the only thing I can answer is it was an apparition created by my own mind. Mm-hmm. And the mind can really create anything. But what we got to realize when you take a substance, DMT, they always talk about the purple lady, right? And I've had buddies that have taken it and they describe their experiences. Joe Rogan's described them as well. But what you're doing is you're experiencing that chemical compound, the consciousness of it. So nobody really knows what these things are like, that consciousness, but you're experiencing what it's like to be a mushroom or to be pure dimethyltryptamine. But the, the mushroom is also experiencing what it's like to be human and that's not always pleasant for a mushroom (laughs) (laughs) and that that might explain 90 percent of the bad trips unless you just eat the dust at the bottom of the bag and and get you know start puking or something but Mm -hmm. which i've gotten that bad on it once in particular but you know these things aren't to play with um do they open doors to other dimensions i don't think so i don't i don't look at the mind as a dimensional thing. I look at the mind as a dimensionless thing, which it's not a thing at all. It's the root basis of all reality. And if you could say, if you look at space and you invert a picture of space and turn the black space white, that's the field of consciousness. It's omnipresent. You're actually seeing a selfie of God. If God took a selfie, it would be an inverted uh, picture of space and galaxies that are in it would be black and the white light of mind would be white in an omnipresent expansive field. So, and Bernard Catrip would agree uh, in his whirlpool analogy that there's consciousness as little whirlpools that occur wherever there's a body, you could say. So, you don't really need extra dimensions to describe that. You You could say that, again, those experiences are happening here not in some other dimension, they're here in your body. Mm. But if you look at mind as non-dimensional, then you can really understand how all possibility exists in the mind. You know, mind is really like the ocean and we're all drops of that ocean. But what psychedelics do is they give you a little bit of a deeper view into that ocean, but what you discover, there's other life forms there, other critters, other consciousnesses, if you will. But are they, they're not necessarily bodied or embodied. And what I think I mostly don't like about this idea of David Ikes and others who say there's these entities that latch on, you know, to a human, like some kind of parasite, is that there's no way to beat them. Mm. You can't arrest them, you can't take them to court, you can't try them, you can't hang them. And I want these people held accountable. So the best thing to do until we can figure out if they do exist, I'm not 100,000% certain that they don't. I'm just saying, but if they do, until we figure out a way to actually stop what they're doing to our children, at least our children and ourselves, Mm. then we better start arresting some real human beings that we can actually handcuff and put on trial for their crimes against humanity and their murder of millions and millions of us, 7 million alone is the estimate with COVID. And these guys like Fauci and Gates walk around free, sniveling at us, you know, I don't need to wait for dimensional portal to get what's causing them to do it. I say we get, not we, but the law, somebody needs to exercise the uh, authority that they have and, and put a stop to these people. They're mass murderers, in my opinion.
0: Unfortunately, I think the judicial system and the law uh, enforcement agencies are compromised. Often, they're, oh, yeah. yeah, they're they're uh, taking part in these same sorts of circles that the pedos are and the corporate mm. heads. Yeah, unfortunately, I just got done reading the Franklin scandal, and that's he's just, yeah, yeah, you know, you know what I'm
1: talking Talk about. Talk about an eye opener, right? Yeah, no shit. Yep.
2: So, what if instead of the the dimensional uh, hypothesis being outside of the body, what if uh, the dimensions are cellular? Would, would you say that, that that's a possibility, that perhaps these things that you experienced are things that are within you so... Everything that we are experiencing is not necessarily from another dimension. It's something that is inward, not outward.
1: Well, certainly, any psychedelic experience is going to be inward and outward. Actually, Um, I've seen the longitudinal waves Mm -hmm. uh, high above the, the the planet. You know that create all of space on enough of a dose of psilocybin to, to know that all of the universe is waves. And then I read a book by Walter Russell that says all the universe is waves. Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting confirmation. Um, as for does it open portals or, or does it does it connect on a cellular level? Um, I'm sure all, all cells are centered by that stillness of the mind of, of light or God or creator, whatever you prefer to choose to call it. And, um, but it's still, if it is you and the cellular experience, it's still happening here and we still have to describe it from here, you know? And what I liken to, and the one distinction I make is this idea of escapism, which the new age is full of it. Mm -hmm. If it, if it sells you a way out, which is Gnostic, you know, this is a, a fallen world that we've been born into. It's a product of evil, managed by evil beings called archons, and the only way that we're ever going to be happy or satisfied in life is to escape from this place. That's the end route of Gnosticism. And and maybe not all branches of Gnosticism, I do make that distinction. But for the most part, modern-day Gnosticism is an escape art, as is higher dimensions. It's something that people say that, if you can just get to the fifth dimension, you'll be okay to live in this one. But most, and I'd say 99% of the people I've met that talk about this fifth dimensional existence, they're not transcended at all. They're some of the most, <laughs> let's just say handicapped psychologically, mm. people that I know, they really haven't dealt with the shadow, mm. even though they cl- they might claim to, but for them, being in the fifth dimension means I don't have to deal with the bullshit of my right. own life anymore. Mm-hmm. I can just be there and no matter what anybody says, I'm safe. And to me, you're, you're being inauthentic when you don't do the work right. you know, that's required to, to overcome the, the sheer pain and despotism that we've all experienced walking yeah. this earth.
2: It sounds like you're talking about disassociation. So mm-hmm. what these people right. are doing is maybe fragmenting their reality without kind of managing or facing what's going on internally. So they're going to this external place that they call a higher frequency or another dimension, Mm. spiritual bypass, because then they don't have to deal with their, as you said, their shadow or their shit. They're they're
1: nerfing it. (laughs) Right. I, I and mean, the the ground hurts, man, when you hit it. Yeah, for and sure. I was molested as a kid, but, and it it haunted me for years and years in, in repetitious, destructive human behavior that I kept blaming the outside world for. And I could have easily bought into the, I'm, I'm just going to live in the fifth dimension and not deal with this. But having the woman that I do, and she's a no bullshitter. You know, I had to step up my game and and really work on myself. And so did she. We both did. You know, we kind of held the mirror to each other for our first seven years. And I I really respect that, you know, there are people on this planet who who tell other people that there's no easy way out. You know, if we're going to be the best humans we can be, we have to do pattern recognition. We have to strip down all the pain and come to terms with it. And then reintegrate it you know it's kind of like taking a busted piece of marble and gluing the pieces back together and then re-chiseling out the real you mm. it's a painful experience it leaves your hands calloused and bleeding and it's not fun and it hurts and it's you know but that's what is required to really you know for Humpty Dumpty to put himself back together again all the king's horses all the king's men couldn't do it in other words it's it's a solo thing you have to you know have the bravery and the courage to face the darkest parts of yourself but in doing so you bring light to yourself and then you can bring light to the world and that's that's how it has to happen in my opinion
0: well maybe what other the semantic that some people are using for other dimensions are say i mean we are we have these bodies obviously that we're navigating the world in but We all have different bodies. We have different bodies than baboons and then whales. And like everybody has a different set of filters that they're navigating the same reality with. So we have eyes, excuse me, that can only see a certain spectrum of of the light, all of the light that's available. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you have other animals that can see different or a more vaster uh, part of the spectrum. Uh, so what they can see or what they can perceive, they might be able to see things that we can't see, but perhaps that doesn't necessarily mean that those things are on a different dimension. They're just, I don't know. I don't know what the vocabulary to use for something like that, but you just can't see that with your, the particular filters that human beings have. For for instance,
1: that's, that, that's easily explainable. Um, the FCC has, sensitive equipment that can see the emf field they can tell if someone's broadcasting based on a on a wave they can see with a color graph um david Icke would often use this analogy he'd say uh his argument would be and i respectfully disagree with these guys i think you know on one end he's done some great work i've read i've got eight or eight or nine of his books and i've read probably over half of them but i just happen to disagree with with You know this particular thing but he says that he uses the analogy higher dimensions are like radio waves you can't see them there's radio waves going through our body 20 fm stations and 30 am stations and then all these tv signals are going through our body well the fcc can see those with their special trucks they've made there's actually emf meters you can get i was a sound man for 15 years fortune 500 companies and We have all kinds of meters that can read things most people wouldn't see. Mm -hmm. But all those waves and all those frequencies and all those stations, they're all happening here in this one reality. They're not happening in another dimension. And just because we can't see them doesn't mean they're not also here. You know, we can't see ultraviolet light until it burns the shit out of you at the beach Mm. because you were out in it too long. Sure. So, I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's a misnomer to assign that example is, is sort of a fallacious argument. You're swapping out uh, sort of a straw man to explain something that is explainable within this one reality construct. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think that was just a, a more, uh, a more exquisite way of what I was trying to say, of explaining what mm-hmm. I was trying to say. Um, sure. Yeah. So I, I'm, you know, I'm not, I, I didn't invite you on to try and prove you wrong or anything like that. I'm sure. just curious sure. about your point I'm of happy, view. I'm happy, to, <laughs> you know, but happy same, to
1: engage in any conversation. For sure. So. Yeah.
0: And, and at the same time, I don't think that everybody has to agree with everybody else on everything by any means. We can mm-hmm. still all have a wonderful adult conversation and learn stuff from each other for sure. Um, Certainly. We you, you I like just you
2: have- I'm so curious about the human experience that that I really enjoy having i I'm so sick of the fucking echo chamber and having yeah, people sure. have these very circuitous discussions where it's just everyone agreeing i I really love one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you was that uh you're not coming from a new age perspective. So mm-hmm. you're not a materialist reductionist. you you have maybe a different um, angle or a different viewpoint, but you're you're not trying to force your perspective on anyone else. And I think that that's a very refreshing place to be because this, what i call like the new age hippie bullshit <laughs> the, <laughs> m- movement that i i saw when i was living in california you know mm. where people are you know and and i'm casting aspersions on people that are some of my closest friends that i love dearly that listen to npr and voted for mm-hmm. hillary clinton and are woke sure. and live in that world but Triple are so
1: Houston some of the
2: most seething, angry people I know because they're not living an authentic life as you're talking about. So I guess where I'm at right now is I'm trying to understand the psychedelic experience because we've had so many people on that have said there's trickster spirits and you're going to put yourself in this situation and it's not going to be your grandmother that you're talking to. It's this trickster and so in in those dimensions, uh, where I'm going back is I think it's what you're saying in that this is all inhabited on this plane of existence, that it's the body that's having this experience. and yes, the mushroom is having a human experience and that's maybe why sometimes those experiences aren't good because the mushroom mm-hmm. isn't accepting you and you aren't in the right headspace to accept the mushroom so where, where are your thoughts on this new movement of, you know, the gut being the second brain? Because that seems to be very trendy right now where people are talking about gut biome and um, health and gut health. Suddenly that's become like very part part of the zeitgeist and the norm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there is some element here again of a confusion or just a distraction by using the this type of terminology like what are your thoughts about that
1: That's a great question um i know most guys in our 20s had a second brain and it's not the gut
0: (laughs) it's slightly lower Um, south of that (laughs) yeah
1: but it doesn't really know shit to, to be quite honest i mean only a wise man can tell the difference between which brains where but uh, the gut you do have that old saying I've got a gut feeling and mm-hmm. I think if you look at what what I do look at is the chakra system mm. and the um gopi Krishna you know and the uh the Kundalini experience is a real thing uh, it's well written about well documented not just from the Eastern perspective but also from the Western and uh these, in anatomy, you have these nerve ganglion in seven major spaces on the spine where mm-hmm. many ganglia come together. And that's exactly where these chakras are located. And what's interesting about the the uh, the rainbow flag uh, by the LGBTQ movement and so on is that it's an inverted chakra. Mm-hmm. The red is at the top, which is the animal, basically. Right. And so where does your consciousness lie in that spectrum, you know? and if you're moving from the actual chakra color chart, you're moving from red up into violet, indigo, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is, you know, the crown. And that's the ultimate expression of a spiritual human. And so what Satanism does is it inverts everything. Mm -hmm. That's the signature of Satanism is inversion. They take, because they can't create, they can only take what's been created and flip it around upside down uh, 180 degrees so that our consciousness really can't tell the difference between an inversion and a uh, non-inverted element. It's 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 very trickstery in itself. But mm. And one of my arguments when it comes to, you know, that's a great question, I, I really don't have an answer for, you know, is there something to be said for the gut having a feeling? Yes. But at the same time. When I think about the psychedelic experience, you you had multiple comments in there, but a lot of these priesthoods, like the Catholic Church, for instance, worship the Amanita muscaria mushroom, and they do these rituals, or at least I've read that they have. I can't prove it, but uh, Jan Irving and and others have written on the subject, and, you know, the sacred mushroom in the cross um, book by—forgive me, I don't have his name. Watson? It's not on, I'm sorry.
0: Wasson? Gordon Wasson? No, no,
1: it was, uh, oh, it'll come to me in a second, but it's called Sacred Mushroom in the Cross. Mm -hmm. And it was a translator from reading the Dead Sea Scrolls wrote about the Essenes was a mushroom cult. Mm. And basically the idea of devils and demons and angels tend to coincide with the use of psychedelic hallucinogenic drugs which is very interesting. And when my own experience with these things, I had that experience of that, that being, and it was in a purple gown of mm. all things, you know, almost exactly as David Icke described. And mm. that's why it kind of laughed at me because I, I created that apparition. And, and when I confronted it, it, it disappeared into a woof of smoke. And then the the mushroom laughed at me. But the, the interesting thing is that I would go on and 2010, I had an experience that was completely sober, but this wasn't like any experience on any of these substances. It was a substance-less experience of becoming holy mind, much like the way they describe in near-death experiences about coming to this white light that envelops you and you become just incredibly inspired and, and you lose the sense of fear, the sense of guilt and shame completely dissolves and you literally sense your own immortality from a a mental and spiritual place as opposed to a physical body experience brought on by substance. So this is really, at the same time I'm reading Walter Russell's work Mm. and reading about his illumination experiences just slightly later down the road, I started to read that And i'm like my god this just happened to me and i remember having this experience when i was nine years old the the voice in my head called me to the top of the oak tree which a 100 foot tall oak tree said come to the top of the tree my son and sing to me and that was an interesting experience because you know these experiences of supreme inspiration happens to many people um, supreme inspiration comes to the great poets, to Walt Whitman, who would write. You know, a lot of the the liberal poetry professors thought he was writing love letters to a gay lover. He was actually writing love letters to God itself. But you couldn't know this if you didn't have some training in the Illumination experience, and that's what I've really cut my teeth on the past few years. I've read every book I can find about consciousness, about the Illumination experience, and they all have. This general thread, the this, this golden thread that weaves through each of these stories. And it's the it's the substanceless experience of mind itself, or the experience of God, if you will, of, of the supreme conscience, of which we're only just again a drop in the water. But so really there's a difference that I was shown because I've had about 10 or 12 or so of these what I call minor illuminations of my own, which were completely silver when I had them. And some would only last 15 seconds. You know, I'd I'd drop to my knees and just pour tears out and experience a supreme inspiration. And then I'd have an idea of what I'm supposed to do for the next seven years. That happened to me in 2015. I I saw my whole presidency laid out in seven years and by, you know, I even named the years. And it was uh, exactly, what unfolded was exactly what I had written down, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the supreme inspiration of the poet, saint or philosopher is a substanceless one. And that's the real true experience of the universal mind. And you can't wise crack your way into this. It's not something that you can take any kind of substance to experience. And I think that's the real trickster is the substance itself. You know if how how often do we have an inspiration and then we go sit down and turn the tv on if we followed those inspirations to their end there would be the the david statue standing before most of us you know but we don't follow the inspiration anymore and that's one of the things with my work i'm trying to do by promoting the russell's of the world and um you know tesla's who who had the flashes of illumination since he was a small boy I mean, all these great minds, they they talk of these flashes, you know, and these flashes don't happen in substance experiences. It's, I, I don't think I've ever experienced great, you know, supreme inspiration on any kind of a substance. Now, I will say there's been maybe a couple times that have come close, but again, it's its not the real McCoy in my personal opinion. And the stories and and the accounts of the mystics that I've studied would testify to this, that it's a substanceless experience. And then if you juxtapose that against the priesthood, who are the ones doing the exercising of demons and writing about demons and angels, they're also the ones using these substances in ceremonies and rituals going back thousands of years. So it's an interesting parallel that with the priesthood, you've got demons and devils, but with Illuminates, you have God and you. Mm. No middleman, no substance between you and the mind of God. In fact, what they tell you, the secret is, is that your mind is the mind of God to the degree that you know that it is. So that's an interesting caveat.
0: Absolutely.
2: Exactly. Well, there? it's been an honor and a pleasure to meet you, Matt. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes,
1: It's a great pleasure to meet you both. I really appreciate the invite. And uh, again, your listeners, if you're interested in any of the Walter Russell material, a lot of my talking points come from my knowledge of their work, uh, Walter and Leo Russell, philosophy.org. And at checkout, books and booklets, you can save 20% off by entering MELT, all capital letters, M-E-L-T, 20. So thank you so much, guys, and appreciate the invite.
0: Absolutely, and if they want to find you and your work, obviously yes. they go to the website uh, address on the screen there.
1: Yep. Which I is? I shamelessly self-promoted my site all through this interview. <laughs> but for so. people
2: who are just listening, what's your <laughs> website again?
1: It's mattpresti.com, m a t t p r e s t i. dot com, And I have all my social links at the bottom of that, that page, everything from Facebook to
2: uh, X. (laughs) Fantastic. Cool.
0: Well, thank you so much, Matt, for taking the time to chat with us. It was fantastic meeting you. And I foresee more conversations in the future if you're up for it.
1: It Sounds wonderful. Yeah. Guys, I appreciate you. Thanks so much.
0: Likewise. Have a good rest of your evening. We
2: send you many blessings.
1: And you as well. Thank you. Well,
0: that was very, very, a very nice conversation. It was good to meet Matt. Um, I <laughs> I was trying to start a conversation about some of the things that he brought up in his documentary, uh, which again is entitled Dispelling Dimensional Madness, um, without it feeling like I was trying to uh, corner him or, or prove him wrong or something like that. But fortunately, he received all of it uh, uh, the exact way that I meant it and just realized that I wanted to have a conversation and talk about some of the stuff that he was bringing up in his, uh, in his documentary. What did you think?
2: I am, you know, I, I think my mindset about, uh, dimensional travel and, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff has been altered, since our Dr. Doctor Gregory Little conversation, hmm. because in that conversation, he talked about these trickster spirits that when you take these psychedelic trips, um, you may not be engaging with the energy of someone from your past that has passed on that you've, think that you are engaging with it could be this other kind of nefarious energy that's that's trying to um capture your attention or whatever Mm -hmm. so i think maybe some of my hesitation to take these journeys these psychedelic journeys has been birthed from that like I feel like I have to have one foot in this world at all times and so I don't feel like I can just let go and kind of be off because I'm afraid maybe I won't come back <laughs> what, is, what
0: is this world though and you're an, you're an old school psychonaut you, I know you have a lot of trips I'm, under your belt
2: I know did you feel
0: like that the when we went to the woods that last time
2: totally yeah. I totally yeah, we've you, talked about this before. When we went to the woods, we went to this this crazy place you know, I I wanna glamp. I wanna I wanna do that stuff where there's no mosquitoes. <laughs> or huge huge hairy spiders and <laughs> wood piles. Huge hairy spiders. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you, you
0: kept your foot in this world. I thought you were, you were blaming me for that. That I wasn't going into it blindly enough.
2: No, I think, I think, I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I feel like there's part of me that, that wants to go off, you know, and like go off planet, you know, go into uncharted terrain, you know, really take it to the the extreme Mm -hmm. and then there's this other side of me that feels like well i'm a mom now and i have responsibilities and dogs and chickens and i have to i can't be tripping out man but it's not like a trip (laughs) doesn't
0: last for weeks
2: for you (laughs) I don't know what kind of
0: drugs you're on, but it is temporary. It's you'll come back. You'll you'll reintegrate. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah, I know. And when we when we were driving back and holding hands and in the car and I was and then we went and had hamburgers at that place and it was just so wonderful and loving mm-hmm. and I just I really enjoyed that part of it. So I, you know, I don't know. I, I think I'm curious about his, his, uh, Matt's dimensional take.
0: I am too. That's one of the reasons I wanted to ask him on, although I asked him before that documentary actually came out. Hmm. So I was just going to ask more about the Walter Russell stuff. That's when I started talking to Ryan Peverly Mm -hmm. about, uh, and then he pointed me in Matt's direction. Um, what are you doing over there? I'm stretching Pintorting. my back. <laughs> and then this thing came out, and I was like, "Whoa, wait a second! Uh, what? There's no dimensions. There's no higher dimensions. So, yeah, I wanted that. Then I was like, I wanted to have a conversation with him for a completely different reason to help unpack those ideas uh, and wonder if it's just he's really talking about the same thing. He's just using different words, or he's refusing to to use the verbiage that you know cuz i understand what he's saying i think i don't think he's disavowing any of these things that many people attribute to being interdimensional or other dimensions he's just saying it's all taking place here but then that only makes so much sense to me because i don't know is it here because we can't see it i mean is it somewhere else because we can't see it or you know because all dimensions are, I've always pictured them as overlapping. So there are things going on in the astral realm. It's not in a different location. It's happening right here amongst all of us. It's just happening at a different, on a different frequency. So I, I, I don't know. I should have brought up well, what did he think of the word frequency as opposed to dimension?
2: Well, he said frequency was energy. Um, He was talking about the EMF meters and reading and so he he, he's definitely a believer of that um i don't know i i what i love is that it wasn't another like it it just wasn't someone that was just kind of parroting kind of this new age thing you know he's giving he's coming from a different perspective and i really respect and appreciate that absolutely um and i i think in some regards a lot of what he's saying is spot on you know in that i i've i've witnessed the same thing like some of these people who are in in the, the new age movement in particular, not truthers, for example, but people who are in the new age realm are some of the most fucked up people I know, because they aren't really dealing with their shit, they're just kind of packaging their life in a way that's manageable for them without really dealing, without really doing the work, without really digging in and getting in there and fixing what's going on with them.
0: Well, I think intent uh, has a lot to do with it too. You can say the same Taoist adages through gritted teeth. It's like you're trying to convince yourself first and yeah. foremost, or you can say them like, because you embody them and yeah. it's, some, you understand?
2: Sure. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking about like AA, like I know people who have been sober for tw- over 20 years who can tell you the exact moment they took their last drink and go to a meetings two, three times a week have they really cured their alcoholism because they know exactly when that last time or are, do they just have a invisible gun to their head and just the right thing hasn't triggered them into drinking again?
0: Exactly. Or I mean, and they, and they still identify themselves as an alcoholic. Alcoholics. Yeah. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. Shed that shit. Like, right. Just, just, and and that's the problem I have with those programs, twelve-step programs, is that they try and segregate you from reality. You're gonna live in a bubble now. You're just gonna go to fucking AA meetings. Don't go anywhere where there exist bottles of liquor or people drinking. Like that doesn't make you stronger. That just keeps you in a sort of a state of atrophy where you don't, you don't grow a backbone and realize that you are, you can do it. You can survive it. Like. Look, you, you can't avoid all the drunks in life. I mean, I, I do a pretty good job of, of doing I that. I know. But it's
2: like I can't avoid the Korean bakery.
0: <laughs> it just somehow ends up in front of your car all the I time. just need
2: to act like it doesn't exist. <laughs> That's the only time I need the eternal sunshine, like, brain eraser is just for that bakery. You just
0: need to go to Korean Bakery Anonymous. <laughs>
2: I do. Fuck, I do.
0: You know, it's not a problem.
2: No, I love it. uh, I fucking love it. Just um,
0: compromise. It's my my middle name.
2: I know, and you're so good at it. You really are. It
0: it took a lot of practice. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm an extremer, too. Yeah, you'd be a great
2: heroin addict.
0: (laughs) Heroin's too boring. I tried it once, and it really, it's like... Really, this is what you're going to steal shit for and like get blowjobs and alleys to get like, no, no, it's not worth it. Just like it was, cocaine. Yeah. Like not a.
2: <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and crystal meth. I, and
0: me and Mott did that a couple of times just to pull all night art sessions. Uh, but I couldn't see it being a lifestyle. Like, yeah, my God. Yeah. And it was not hillbilly crack back then. It was just some it was just another stimulant, you know. Yeah. Crank.
2: Wow, we came right off the rails. We just it's went away. Connected. It's all
0: tributaries <laughs> off the same tree trunk.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I think it's good to question. It is, yeah, you know, all of the the esoteric and the metaphysical, and you know, all of these. Uh, I, I was very much in the Whitley Strieber stream there for a long time and then again we talked to dr little and you know he's really good friends with willie streber and willie now has a different take on what happened to him and what all of that was and You know, that could have been a my lab for all he knows. And, you know, so again, I think this is part of being in these spaces where you're discussing these things where we don't necessarily have the evidence on this plane of existence of what these things are.
0: It's dimension.
2: And I think it's possible. He did say plane, and I wanted to say that's another word for dimension, but... I I think what's important is that, okay, let's say there is going to be a fake alien invasion that happens or something. We may not buy that or believe that where 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, we may have believed that because we were still thinking that the moon landing actually happened or the worlds or whatever. Right. So I, I think that it's good to constantly be examining our perceptions and our belief systems and the things that we hang our hat on and say, this is what reality is.
0: And I, I agree. Um, But I, I have also been going through this phase lately, like the last, I don't know, few weeks, month, something like that, where I've been very critical of stuff. On on our side of the fence, yeah. for lack of a better term. Um, because I just get sick of, like, if the same result is happening yeah. from what stimulus people are, like, if you're getting still fearful from shit that, that people who question things are putting out, like, what is that accomplishing? Like, yeah. if you're just freaking me out with knowledge as opposed to, you know being freaked out by you by something that you see on mainstream media what's the difference if it all ends up in fear yeah. well then fuck that and and most of it is conjecture anyway i mean there might be bits and pieces of stuff that you can actually point to and and it can be corroborated and stuff like that but i realize you know some of the most real things in the world cannot be corroborated they're all it's all based on subjective personal experience but you know it just comes to a point where How much of my emotional well being am I going to put into somebody's perception of what they think is going on, and it might not—that might be further from the truth than something that you might see on CNN, for instance. Uh, Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm trying to get at.
2: Yeah, I. That's why I kind of circled back to the love, uh, comment that he made because there is this desire. In science to map human emotion and map mind and map these things so there's tons of money that that are being devoted you know to these research studies of human of things that that have never been truly mapped before and again the conspiracist in me says, oh, well, why are they doing this? They're not doing this to understand the human mind. They're doing, or the heart. They're doing this because they want to see if they can synthesize these things. And not necessarily put them in a pill form, but upload them to a server yeah. so they yeah. can say, "Okay, so now we've made AI sentient because we've taught AI emotion. We've we've been able to download that information and upload it into this server, and now AI has the ability to truly fall in love. So to,
0: uh, to simulate love, to Right, no,
2: love. but they're going to say that it's truly falling in yeah. love. So you pay half a million dollars and your AI girlfriend really will love you. <laughs> no,
0: no. Yeah. It doesn't have a past, it hasn't had past lives, it has no right. context.
2: Right, like. but if you, again, this is where, this is so fascinating to me, is that So I've put all these years into Facebook, for example, or Instagram or whatever. So someone's taken my information. Once someone dies, then you can take that information and you can sublimate that onto an AI and say, okay, that's now your girlfriend or your Mm -hmm. wife or your boyfriend or your husband. And if you're grieving, you may want to believe that, that that is that.
0: Yeah. Of course, especially in you're your in a vulnerable state of mind where you're desperate and you miss yeah, that person so like much. Like
2: you miss your mom and or your dad or whoever, and so you know there are these forces or these energies that want to exploit that.
0: Which. Is it just another disruption of the natural order of things? Which is what I was going to say when you guys, or when he was bringing up adoption, people being adopted because they can't, or adopting kids because they've been sterilized by whatever surgical procedure that they've gone through. And then they try and nurse this Mm -hmm. child like um, on a guy's tit, you know, like just like all these disruptions in the natural order of things. How discombobulated will our will people be because there are so many steps removed from the natural cycle of existence, you know? Right.
2: But again, I I believe that there will be a segment of the population that complies with that, that goes along with that, that lives in that eddy of misery and is miserable. And then there will be a segment of the population that that has never touched. They have no, awareness of that or reality of that and that's not part of their yeah. their context. I'm
0: just, I'm just talking about the people who buy into that. I I don't yeah. think that's an I by no means think that that's an inevitability for everybody. By no means I will never consent to that reality.
2: Yeah. But maybe that's why they want you drinking Zevia. <laughs>
0: You love outing me on air. <laughs> Not that there's even any, anything to out. Okay, I drink I drink Zevia. Wow. I love
2: you. When, like, <laughs> I'll see
0: you next meeting.
2: <laughs> like,
0: you should see what I used to drink. My God, this is like angels nectar compared to that.
2: Anyway, maybe on that note,
0: you should go do homework, and I should work yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. Okay. I felt like I just sent you to your room. Maybe you need to be doing homework now instead of calling out my Zevia intake.
2: I had two today, so. Oh, wow. I know. Holy shit. And a chocolate
0: bar. I had a chocolate bar
2: two days ago. Was it two days ago?
0: Oh, you just now told me today. And then I stuffed
2: it in the couch, the wrapper.
0: (laughs) So you just told me today, but you had it two
2: days ago? Because I thought you were going to find it tomorrow. (laughs) Like I go looking for that thing? I don't know. This is the
0: sitcom uh, we live in, guys. This
2: is the intervention. <laughs> the chocolate intervention. <laughs> all the right.
0: non-existent one. I don't care. Eat it. Eat as much as you want. As long as you feel good eating it. Just don't feel miserable. That's all I ask. If you're going to take my chocolate, uh, do good with it. <laughs> Turn it into something positive. <laughs> okay. okay. Thank you all for listening. Congrats for making it this far. I know, exactly. Um,
2: Lord help us.
0: Yes, you know. The Melt Podcast at ProtonMail.com or...
2: Hunter-Muse at ProtonMail.com.
0: There's tons of links below this, whether you're listening to it or watching it. Visit them all, like us, subscribe. Hey, even contribute if you'd like. We have a whole, usually a whole hour at least... Of a show that you can listen to at monthly Melt Meetups, which we also turn into Patreon only podcast episodes and so much more. That's right. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. And uh, fantastic things, even more fantastic things are coming your way.
2: Always. All right. In always. Ta-ta. Meow.
0: so much for making it this far if you've liked what you've heard and are thus inspired to contribute to the well-being of the melt there are a few easy ways to do that the most tangible being financially which can be achieved by clicking the locals or patreon link in the episode notes and then you will be led through the process of starting your monthly subscription for a mere five dollars a month This will give you access to exclusive episodes, full length episodes, and you can participate in our monthly melt meetups where we can congregate together as a community and often get a chance to chat with some of our guests more intimately. Another way to help out would be to go to wherever it is that you listen to the melt and leave a favorable review or rating. You can also spread the word via sharing or recommendation to friends and family either in person or virtually. And lastly, if none of those options are readily available or appealing to you, simply send your positive thoughts and intentions. In an interconnected and quantumly entangled multiverse, these also go a long way. Thank you.